0: time to kill. If we don't do it, then no one will. Our eyes are cold, our thoughts are low. Fifteen minutes till we lose control. Oh, oh.
1: You so are now listening to... Work to music! To
0: the Lifeblood! The generation behind,
1: going nowhere's just fine. Maybe night a night we Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Music the Lifeblood, where we always like to do something old, something new. I'm your very humble host, Dustin. This is an extra, ultra, mega, special edition of Music the Lifeblood. Why? Because Spot that's why. This is part one of my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend. For those of you not in the know, Spot is what I would call a renaissance man, a virtual jack of all trades. This man has a resume that will drop your jaw. He's an accomplished multi-instrumentalist, versed in all aspects of the musically avant-garde. He's a photographer capable of telling a story using no words, with his ability to capture stunning snapshots of the world in motion around him and he was the in-house producer for the punk rock powerhouse sst records from 1979 to 1985 he produced pivotal albums from black flag the misfits husker do and on and on and on i had the privilege of speaking at length with spot about a myriad of different things. Everything from his love for jazz, his career as producer for SST Records, his photography book, Sounds of Two Eyes Opening, and many other things. I cannot thank Spot enough for his candor, his openness, his approachability, and most definitely, his time. But before we jump into the conversation, I want to let everyone know that this episode of Music the Life Brothers is brought to you by my favorite Midwestern record store. Indie CD and Vinyl, located in in the Happen and Broad Ripple neighborhood of Indianapolis, Indiana. Great prices, great staff. I've had the pleasure of getting to know the owners, Andy and Annie, and I can say most definitely they are rad people. You can find Indy CD and Vinyl on Facebook and online at www.indycdandvinyl.com. And make sure you spell I N D Y. If you find yourself in the Indianapolis area, I want you to stop in. They've got all of your vinyl and CD needs. Do it. Now, before we jump into the conversation with Spot, just a quick little producer's note. Spot and I spoke for a very long time, almost an entire afternoon, and we took several breaks. And at one point, the call was disconnected due to what I'm assuming was bad weather. So, to transition between those breaks, you will hear this sound. Don't be alarmed, it's part of the show, folks. Now, on to the interview. On the phone, I have Spot. Spot, thanks for being on the show, man. No problem. Right. So, Spot, in kind of getting to know you, quote unquote, in an artistic sense over the years, you've never struck me as someone that has been nostalgic, uh, but more just kind of matter of fact. And you have a photo book that came out a little while ago called Sounds of Two Eyes Opening. And in conjunction with that, you put a video on YouTube uh, called The Director's Cut, of Sounds Oh, and- you, you saw that. I did, yes. <laughs> um, and I'm interested in, I'm interested in that. Um, and I quote, If we had been Canadian folk singers, we would have wanted to be in the surfy, skateboardy sunlight, thinking it was better than those snowbound winters listening to the hungry animals wailing in the forest. Then we would have discovered that beach life was just a brighter form of darkness. Are you getting, are you getting more reflective as your art advances? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I guess. I just.
0: I mean. I just know that. I know what it was like back then, and I know what it's it's like now. And it's, you know, as you get older, you have more information on uh, on what you were doing when you were younger. You know, sure. uh, it, there, there's there's a there's a, a there's a clarity. That comes in along with a new kind of confusion, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where you you see a lot of um, a lot of what you did and a lot of choices that you made in a different light, and uh, you know, it's not the, it's not necessarily regret. It's just that you know, you just have a different perspective on on things. Sure, you know, but I I just I mean, I think a lot of people. uh... Have this or have had this idea that Southern California beach life is all, you know, brightness and positivity and yoga and this surf, surf, surfers and this, that, and the other. When the reality was that um, um, there was always, a, there was always a, a dark and low side. To that, you know, I mean, there were there were street bums out there. There were homeless people. Uh, you know, there were you know uh, hopeless alcoholics. There were uh, you know druggies, and you know, people who had people who had problems day to day problems. And and a lot of those people were you know people who had homes and jobs and money. <laughs> you know, they weren't. They weren't immune from any of life's trials and tribulations either. Maybe they, they were in a position to deal with them easier. But, you know, you know, you, you know the, taking the good with the bad, I mean, the bad is there as well.
1: Sure. Did you feel, was there a, from a photography standpoint, was there a artistic compulsion to document that period of time? Is that why you found it? Or was it just, eh, this is the subject matter at my disposal?
0: And I think I think more than the second one. You know, maybe six of one, half a dozen of the other. I mean, it's you know, I was driven to just take photographs, and you know, I, I ended up there, and I saw that hey, there's pictures to take, and there's something interesting going on. So I just you know, basically, I just just did it. It was there, and I did it.
1: There's, I always wonder from, uh, photography's not really, I, I've just never been able to to frame stuff that way. You know, I snap pictures with my cell phone just like anybody else, and I'm nowhere near, you know what I mean? But it's it's always amazing to me when I can look at a, ph- a photograph and it, the emotion behind it translates, and it has some sort of whatever that speaks to you in that way. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the, when you say the darker side of things, quote unquote, as far as your experience goes, you know, was it something I really enjoyed this aspect of that kind of, you know, the, the explosion of culture that was happening around that time? Or was it, I mean, did it kind of have a seedy underbelly to it? Was it a, was it kind of scary at some points?
0: It was both, you know, it was, uh, you know, I think there was more positive. It was more of a positive experience for me, I would say. Uh, but, you know, just, just the environment and uh, the circumstances you know I had I had to be on my guard you know because it was you know it was easy to easy to be uh, waylaid by um, you know things that could be either emotionally or physically deflating sure you know
1: emotionally how
0: you know, there's all you know. There's, there's always people who are going to try to con you into something, or who are going to uh, burden you with their problems, uh, or keep you from. In other, in other words, people will talk you into hanging out with them and drinking beer and. Uh, you know, partying when you really need to be working. You know, <laughs> sure, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's like anywhere.
1: Okay, distractions are abound, right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. There's a uh, there's a picture. Uh, you have a gallery on your website. Uh, there's a picture of a young lady. It looks like she's sitting in a diner a restaurant, um, and she looks like to me. I, I just instantly thought she has had the longest night of her life. Um, She appeared to be blonde. Do you know what photo I'm talking about?
0: Uh, I... Maybe a long blonde hair?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: And, like, she's sitting across the table from me?
1: Yes, yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know if that was the situation. Um, (laughs) there's... uh, there's, there's, I, I took a series of photos of her, and... There are so many different expressions <laughs> that I went through, and most of them are pretty silly, but um, I think she was, she might have been writing a letter to a friend and thinking about what she needed to say to somebody, you know, but no, she she was not a, uh, she was actually one of the more intelligent, uh, solid people there at the time. Okay. So no yeah was there, no there, there was there was not a as far as I know, there was not a deep, dark problem with her at that moment
1: well i think it's, I think it's interesting you know uh, the the whole eye of the beholder you know uh, aspect of of art photography, whatever. That, that's what instantly popped in my head, and that's one of the things that I think is neat about photography because out of context, it could mean something completely different than what was you know, act- in the actuality of the, of the circumstance. That's true. Obviously, you were kind of at ground zero of the Los Angeles punk scene in the late 70s, early 80s. You were there. I mean, you were literally at the epicenter of it. Um, there's this great ph- uh, photograph of Darby Crash from The Germs. Um uh-huh. from uh looks like I'm guessing you were at the front of the stage when you took the photo. Uh and there's a lot of lore that kind of surrounds what went on with the germs and how Darby's life ended and things like that. What was, you know, it's one of those story that never it's never going to be complete. You know, what what was your experience with Darby if any? Uh,
0: well, I mean, I I if, if if I'm thinking if the picture you're describing is the one I'm thinking of that was uh, when the Germs performed at the, uh, oh God, what was it? The Fleetwood in Redondo Beach? Okay. um Fleetwood Smoke. Yeah, the, it was the Fleetwood. And, um, and, and he's on stage performing kind of like down on a knee or something like that. Yes,
1: that's, that's the, the one. Yep, that's the one.
0: Yeah, and... and That was the first time I had seen them, and I wrote um, a review of that show for the Easy Reader. You know, took pictures, wrote the review, and uh, that was like, that would have been like 1980. And, uh, you know, when I, everyone had been saying, oh, God, the germs are so great and everything, and when I saw them, I thought that, man, these guys suck. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the thing is, they sucked in a really good way, a really good, memorable <laughs> way. <laughs> and, you know, as a, I mean, as a band, I mean, they were just totally a mess. Because, uh, I mean, look, I had come out of the 70s with bands that were professional and theatrical and, and whatnot, and, and you'd, you'd go to a show, and that's actually what you'd expect. You would expect a band to easily go from their from song to song and not play so horribly sloppily in those songs. But the Germs, they were just—it was just, you know—it it was just like. Uh, I don't know, like being in a kitchen and all the plates just keep falling off the shelf and there's nothing you can do about it, but you still had to make dinner, you still had to make dinner, <laughs> so uh, it was, it just kind of had that feeling, and um, you know, and I and I talked to people, and some people were like, hey, you know, that's actually one of the most coherent shows I've ever seen them do, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> But no, I, I recognize that there was there was something about the band that uh, you know that was unique and at that time important, and that it it, it uh, connected with people emotionally, connected with people in the way that um, you know uh, uh, hair bands with bell bottoms and singing about wizards and and the sun coming out on their girlfriend's eyes. Just didn't, (laughs) you know. And and, and in the, uh, I'll tell you, in in the review that I wrote, I, I likened seeing Darby to seeing, uh, uh, seeing Judy Garland perform at her worst. But the fact of the matter is, it was still Judy Garland, and you knew that she had substance, you know. It
1: was that kind of thing. Wow. So, what do you think about uh, the the L.A. punk scene? Obviously, it's I don't want to say it attracted a lowest common denominator. That's because um, I always think it. You know, people. I don't think people have the right context of understanding the Los Angeles punk scene a lot. But it felt like it attracted people that were somewhat marginalized, whether socially or economically. Um, you know, sort of the disenfranchised aspect of of young people what what do you think drew them in you know at least at first
0: because it went you know the, the, you know at, at that time punk rock really went against the establishment notion of of how to be you know um you know it's why it's why the Ramones uh Connected with people because they didn't have guitar solos, and they played all their stuff real fast and real simple, and it was real fun to listen to. And if you had, uh, if you had friends who were more conventional, you could play the Ramones for them and watch them cringe, and that was. But, uh, You know, and, and the Sex Pistols in a different way, yeah, I mean, those are like the two prime, primary bands, but it opened up this whole other, uh, you know, this whole other realm of, of stuff that really needed to happen because culturally, pop music had gotten so so tight and predefined that um, it wasn't it wasn't that fun anymore. All of the rock and roll that came out of, like, the whole 60s hippie thing. And, hey, there was a lot of really great stuff in the 60s hippie thing that really rocked. Most of it didn't really get played on the air, but, yeah, the bands like Quicksilver Messenger Service and Moby Grape in their early days, that was great stuff. But... Everything got so formalized and then uh, somebody had to come along and 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 break it open and I think disco uh, as much as everyone hated it it actually kinda of broke open a certain a certain wall that that other people could start coming through sure. as well. Sure. Um but i I might be going off topic here, uh but I think that it's just a yeah I mean there was a you know we were looking for something you know and we needed something and when the whole punk thing happened it was very ground level Uh, you didn't have to go you didn't have to buy a the latest concept album to get it. You could just go with your friends at a time when gasoline only cost you 50 cents a gallon. <laughs> you could go to uh, downtown L.A. and see a band in a crappy club somewhere and not have to worry about buying a drink with a, you know, have a two-drink minimum at a club, you know, and, and just and just have a good time. So it, it opened, you know, with so many... So many people needing this charge. It gave people that charge.
1: What was the first record that you remember picking up or buying or listening to or whatever the case is? What was the first one that jumped out at you from that scene of music?
0: (sighs) I wasn't buying records then.
1: (laughs) Just producing them, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah. No. I. 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 I uh, no. Seriously. I quit buying records in the early '70s. Why? Because, uh, well, <laughs> you know, I remember one one day in Tower Records. Uh, you know, the the original. I guess I don't know if it was the original, but it was Tower Records on Sunset Strip. I mean, there was a time when, yeah, I, I did buy records, and 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 one day in Tower. It might have been seventy-two, seventy-three. I was looking through the the bins, and I realized there's nothing I want to buy. <laughs> the next day, the next day, the next time I went there, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, there was nothing I wanted to buy, so I just I just kind of stopped buying. I mean, I just I couldn't be in a record store anymore, you know. So I mean, I so I really. I basically really stopped buying records over forty years ago, you know. Wow. I've bought a few since, but I don't buy records.
1: Okay. Well, I mean you're you're an, obviously I mean you're you're a well versed musician. Um multi instrumental <laughs> you know, you can play a lot of things. You know, so do you is mm-hmm. do you do you kind of scratch that itch by just making music yourself? Does it satisfy you to just walk around the house, play a little bit of clarinet? You know how how do you scratch that itch? You
0: just you just, you just play, you just do it. Um, and well, and back at back at, at that time, <laughs> how I was experiencing new music with live. You know, I was you know going to parties where you know bands were playing in the backyard, the living room, or whatever, or a club like the Fleetwood or like uh, what was it, the, uh, the Hong Kong Cafe. You know, that's where I was hearing the music. I wasn't hearing it off of records. I was hearing it live. Uh, you know, people would, and, and are going to hanging out with people who were playing records <laughs> or playing the cassette, and every once in a while someone were making it for me. And you know, I was that's how I was getting it.
1: You mentioned uh, the kind of the transition from the sixties to early 70s into what was happening in los angeles at the time any thoughts on how a guy like ray manzarek from the doors winds up working with a band uh x uh you know was there any kind of thoughts around that or was it on your radar at all
0: well you know the the doors were one of those bands back in the 60s that you know really had something going for them. you know uh i was when well, the first time I heard the Doors, I was totally impressed by them. And they had, the Doors were almost the quintessential L.A. band at that time. They they managed to sum up what the L.A. experience was. And, uh, I mean, L.A. has just, this amazing history. And they were right in tune with it. And they could, you know, and musically, what they did made complete sense. And it rocked for the most part um when x came along they kind of had that same relationship with the city where they were some they were able to put their take, take you know put their experiences into music in a way that reflected where they were and what they were uh so it didn't it 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 it, it seemed very natural for you know, Manzarek to get involved with the band, you know, and you know, I, I, at first I was a little skeptical of it, you know, because there's there's always the business thing, but you know, I mean, ultimately I thought it was kind of a, a, uh, a good, a good pairing, you know, it made it made sense sure. musically and historically,
1: sure, you know, sure. It always it always kind of struck me as. Uh, almost like an older brother sort of relationship um, with Ray yeah. Banzarek. It felt like he, uh, he could kind of guide, you know, younger people in the scene, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So how did you, okay, yeah. Greg Ginn. Greg Ginn started out running solid-state transistors. It was a little, you know, working on World War II, ham radios and stuff like that, mail order. Turns into SST Records, and everyone associates SST with the Black Flag Catalog, Husker Du, the Minutemen, a lot of those really, really important uh, bands on that label. How did you develop a relationship with Greg?
0: Oh, boy. Um, I met him at a vegetarian restaurant. (laughs) okay and uh, I I was I was working at a vegetarian restaurant in Hermosa okay he would eat there all the time he was a vegetarian I was doing music reviews for the easy reader and he found out about that so he would start taking me to task for some of the things that I would say or some of my sensibilities at the time okay so, he was talking about he wanted to start a punk rock band and I, I thought that was pretty laughable. Um, but, you know, he was... Okay, I was... Um, this restaurant was like half a block away from Media Art Recording Studio where I kind of lived at the time. Okay. And which Media Art was about a block... Half a block to a block away from the church where they were doing this stuff. So he invited me to come by, and I mean, you know, he was telling me about Blondie and Talking Heads and stuff like that, and and at that point, uh, I had never I had never heard of of those those bands because I was sequestered in the studio, uh, recording recording a, a lot of kind of marginal uh, singer-songwriter or or soft rock demos. That's what people were doing then. It it drove me up a wall. (laughs) So I would go and visit these guys, you know, and they'd be doing their thing, and I'd listen to the shit, the stuff that they're playing. And I think one of them might have loaned me the the Ramones out, first album, which I just thought was great. (laughs) so it it all kind of started in that in that aspect so i just i I, you know i just kind of was one of the people who was you know regularly passing through their social life and talking with them and 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 whatnot
1: so what what lineup of the band uh duke greg robo keith what you know what was your initial introduction
0: then it was, um... Back then it was Keith who was singing. He was a singer. And, um... I guess it was Brian Migdahl... Okay. ...was the drummer. He was a And he was only... He, so he, yeah, he was a guy who played drums on um, the no. Nervous Breakdown.
1: Right. Yep. Single.
0: Uh and um uh, yeah and then and then Greg and Chuck
1: okay gotcha that's um da- i mean obviously when you talk about black flag damaged always comes up anytime you it. I'm sorry it. <laughs> I,
0: I didn't I didn't mean it I didn't mean for it to turn out that way I'm sorry
1: <laughs> so well okay you were there for it i mean you you worked on that album you were engineer and you know i would i would definitely you know, put you down as a producer on that album um, because you had such a heavy hand in how everything was put to tape. Uh, when when I imagine Black Flag, uh, it's like a switch that goes on and it's just the sound of a freight train. in in the studio yeah. In the studio, how how do you capture that to to tape? I'm guessing you guys were probably using. 1 inch or 2 inch. I'm guessing 16 or 24 track in media art, right? Uh yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, how do you how do you contain that? You know what I mean? How do you fit that roar, you know, onto a piece of tape? You just
0: don't be afraid of it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you know, okay, there's a misconception a lot of people have that loud is difficult. Uh, loud is actually not difficult. You just have to know how to deal with it. <clears throat> it's like, okay, you might have like a a house cat, you know? A house cat will sit on the, you know, will, will sit on a, uh, the sofa with you and put a tad in your lap and purr and everything, and it's like, aw, isn't this the nicest thing in the world? But... If let's say if that house cat is a lion or a tiger, a big a big jungle animal, it'll come in and it'll just sit there and stare at you. If you offer it some, if, if you if you pull out a piece of steak and give it that steak, you're going to make that that cat happy, and maybe it'll get up and get on the couch with you and sit there. With you, and, 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 and sleep and sleep while you're reading, and you know it's just a big pussy cat at that point. <laughs> you know, you just got to know how to keep, you know, when to feed it another piece of steak. You feel, oh, it's getting cranky. I better feel, feed it steak because if you don't feed it that steak, it's going to eat you. <laughs> okay. But it's, it's basically it's it's a pussy cat, and, and that's the way that's the way sound is. Um, you have you know, it, it's just a matter of not being afraid of it. Uh, there were a lot, there uh, studio engineers had a lot of phobias about, about high, about, you know, high pressure sound. Uh, but at least the technology at that point had gotten to where, uh, there were good enough dynamic and condenser mics out there that you could... Uh, you know, you could close mic something and and not have to tell someone to turn down because you know these bands they didn't want to turn down they wanted to you know to to, to, to go into a studio they wanted to feel the same thing that they felt in a, a rehearsal room or on stage you know they they wanted to feel like they were you know it, it, I guess it's I guess it's like an athlete you know if you're if you're training, uh, you know. If you're running, you want to sweat. You know. You don't want to have a substitute for sweat. You want to sweat when you're, you know, when you're, when you're running uh, your morning, your morning run before you step into the ring and beat someone's head out <laughs> later <laughs> that night. You know. You know. I mean. It's, I mean. Like look, look, look at that, Look at Muhammad Ali. You know. <laughs> you know. He. 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 He put himself through a process of of uh, pushing the limit on himself, and 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 he he couldn't have done what he did if he hadn't done that. So yeah, I mean, in a in a studio, you you, you kind of have to do that. And it, it it really wasn't that difficult. You just had to approach it from that standpoint that uh, of of you know doing whatever it took to get to get it down. And I I personally one uh, yeah, one of the um there there was like a contingent contingent of um jazz musicians who kind of liked media art you know who who would come down from Hollywood because uh, the price was right and they felt comfortable in the room and like with jazz if um that's a situation where it's just a bunch of people playing. You know, they, they have their composition, they have their ideas, all they want to do is, you know, take, take advantage of the moment and just play, and whatever comes up is whatever comes up, you know? Sure. Uh, I like that, I, I approached those sessions from that point of view, I, I said, let, I want to get these guys comfortable in the room and just let them play. And not be worried about leakage and uh, uh, overdub and making things all pristine and on and on and on. You know, just yeah, just just <laughs> you know, just 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 get out the sketch pad and and the uh, the, the you know the, the the paint and just go for it.
1: I always think as far as modern aggressive music goes, contemporary aggressive music goes, there's a lot of uh, compression that's done from a production standpoint and it creates a uh, an audio experience that feels like everything is at full blast constantly even though it's not and dynamically I think it creates an unevenness in a lot of uh, the mixes just your ability to listen to it, I guess accurately would be the best way I can think to describe it. Those albums that were coming out on s s t around that time don 't suffer from that. Do you feel like at the time were there any modern at the time uh trends in production that you feel like,, eh, I regret doing that, or you know if you could go back and change, you would do it a little bit differently
0: oh. Uh. I think there's a lot of things. Look, I'll, tell, I'll, put it, I'll put it this way: I've made every mistake in the book, and I've written a few new chapters on it. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's always going to be. There's always things I wish I hadn't done, uh, and there's always things I wish I had done more of. I mean, there was. I didn't have. a I didn't have a rule book. I didn't. You know, I didn't learn how to do that stuff from. Going to school and all of that stuff. No, I just I just learned because it was there, and I I took the chances, and and, and you know had ha, you know had a chance. I had a chance to learn it on uh, you know in the field, and 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 actually actually learn learn the skill. Uh, but yeah, but, yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff I'm not proud of, <laughs> but it is the way it is and and that's that um I do think that there there came a time when too many bands wanted things too too well defined mm. and uh when things got to where I had to be worried about how well defined something was. It's kind of when I lost interest in recording because it just wasn't fun anymore.
1: Your experience with Husker Du, working on the New Day Rising album, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lore around that album that there was a lot of tension between uh, label people and the production in the studio and the band and things like that. Any any kind of takeaways from that experience?
0: Well, what you said is is exactly right. Yeah, there was. Um, They that was the first well i don't know if I say the first, but they recorded that in in minneapolis right uh and all the previous things that I worked on with them were all done in uh in l a and, and 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 it was all when they were you know we had the studio time when they were on the road, so it had to be a pretty tightly orchestrated um deal you know they showed up at a certain time we'd go into the studio at a certain time we had to be finished at a certain time so that they could continue on their tour sure and you know the first couple of times yeah it worked fine but then by the time when uh what was it um what was the double album um zen arcade is that right yeah yeah was, yeah. That, was that that was yeah, okay yeah yep. just just double checking it's easy it's easy to get that wrong <laughs> um <coughs> that was that was a situation where getting into the studio was more difficult than it had been in the past, sure and it really it really wore on them
1: does that the the kind of frustration of getting into the studio do you feel like that was the switch that flicked to kind of push things in a bit of a negative direction
0: it started yeah
1: okay yeah right. okay
0: there, there was i mean there was problem. I mean, there, there were there were technical issues that worked against us, and there were booking issues that worked against us, and um, so compromises had to be made. And you know, if we had had maybe, I mean, seriously, if we had had maybe ten more hours to work on it. I think that everyone would have been happier Hmm. with it, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you're in a situation where you know you only have, you know, five more hours to get something done. And if you don't get it done in those five more hours, you're going to have to wait a few months to come back to it. And no one wanted to do that. So you had to just kind of... You know, you, you had to you had to like drive with that, uh, you know, with with a with a blown tire just to get home. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and they they wanted a little, they wanted maybe a little bit more control insofar as the idea that we would love to be in the studio and at the end of the night go home and sleep in our own beds. Hey. No, why not so when new day rising came up they uh, they had made this deal with the studio in um in minneapolis and told sst this is how we want to do it this time they wanted to they wanted to do it themselves they actually didn't want anyone else involved in it but the the record label they were they were scared of that and they sent me out there and i got i got pushed into this really bad position of having to be the bad guy and make sure that everything got done right. And when I, and, and, uh, God, that was just a, it was a nightmare. The New Day Rising session was the, uh, well, that summer was the summer that made me have to rethink everything that I was doing and and decide that I needed a break from, from all of it. I've been, I've been recording stuff nonstop for, Years and it was it was wearing on me. Sure, um uh, but no, I've uh, yeah. There was there was a lot of there was a lot of tension in that in that whole process. I'm not going to go into it here. You know, uh I've 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 written I've written most of this stuff down. Sure, yep. You know, and and I've I've got a whole book worth of information about all of that stuff that, uh, you know, maybe might be viable. So, <laughs> yeah, people people should <laughs> just wait and read my book.
1: Ding, dang, dog. Uh, but- no, I, mean, I mean, it makes sense, though. You know, sometimes you get to the point where I feel like artistically, if you exhaust yourself, it's even just kind of reflecting on it can be as taxing as the experience itself sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. But to answer a question you had, I have run into all three of those guys since then over, over the years. Um, I mean, there was a time when I don't think either of us wanted to see or talk to each other, you know. Uh, and there, there was this time, and I guess in the 90s, I forget if it was early or mid-90s, Bob Mould moved to Austin. I hadn't seen him in at least ten years, uh, and I ran into him in a coffee house one day, and it was very friendly, uh, you know. And I, I did a little hanging out with him, you know. I wouldn't say that we were, you know, you know, like we weren't running buddies or anything, but we were at that point. We were on friendly, we were on friendly terms with each other, and I think that, I think that we discussed, you know, we discussed. Shortcomings that we'd encountered, and just agreed that yeah, yeah, well, we did the best we could. Sure. So there. Sure. Um, and I, you know, and then <laughs> I think about ten years ago, I ran into um, uh, who, uh, Greg when he had his restaurant. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I, I was, I was on tour, and I just stopped at his restaurant in the afternoon, and just walked in there completely unannounced, looking like some bum. <laughs> and we, we sat down and talked for about an hour it was really cool well good and i've run into grant there was a couple of times i was going through minneapolis and, uh minneapolis and you know i ran into him there he was <laughs> you know
1: so what's the what's the recovery process like for you you say all right i'm wiping my hands of this i'm done or I'm washing my hands of this, I'm done, I'm walking away. Where uh artistically, where does it take you? You know, what's what what, what revitalizes you at that point?
0: Well, basically I, I just have I just had to walk away from all the hubbub. You know, it uh, you know, I just I just wanted to, I just wanted to play music again, you know. Uh Getting out of L.A. was one of the best things I ever do. did when I moved to Austin. Getting now, getting out of Austin is one of the best things I've ever done to keep my sanity. You know? So, uh, it, you know, it, it's such just, it's just, you have to say, okay, the good was good, the bad was bad. That's life. You just got to move on and not dwell on any of it, you know? Find something... Find something new to do, you know, get married, have a, you know, or, 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 or uh, I don't know, uh, learn how to, uh, learn how to climb flagpoles or, or something. You don't have to, you just have to move on, whatever, whatever that entails.
1: Let's talk about the misfits, okay? Um, on music, the lifeblood, we, sp- Who's that? who's it right yep yeah. never heard of him we we are self-admitted Danzig fanboys on the show you know i devour anything you know kind of misfits trivia related lore and things like that so you worked on the earth ad album that's what i hear <laughs> is it a good bookmark in your head is it a is is there any kind of emotions associated with with that project with you
0: It was a pain in the ass.
1: <laughs> uh, can, can you elaborate, or do you want to elaborate, Spot?
0: Well, it was fraught with all kinds of problems. Okay. Uh, that I don't even know if I can catalog them anymore. Uh, I mean... Boy, you know, it's, it's, it's. it's I, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they were, they were, dire pains in the ass. It's just that thing things just kind of, things just kind of like, oh. there were, there were a lot of trains that came off the track.
1: Okay. You All know. Right. All right. Gotcha. And
0: I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at any one partner anything, it's just just that's just the kind of the the way that it happened Uh, really it was was another situation really of a a good band, a deserving band wanting to put together a good deserving record and not really having the money and facilities to really do it right
1: Mm,
0: so it had to be done you know, you know, we we had to try to do it some way and and in the end it's just that there there really wasn't you know, we were we were working at dis we were working at disadvantages and maybe not everyone understood what the disadvantages were or how to work through. Okay. So
1: so, tracking initial tracking of the album, or the majority of the tracking for the album, was done after a show they had played in Santa Monica. After the show, you guys head over to Unicorn Studios. Am I correct? No. Was it at no. Media Art? Uh,
0: you know, I, see, here's the thing. I you know Media Art was. I think Media Art was gone by that time. Um, Okay, this is really going to work my brain. Um, I remember when they were in L.A., and yeah, they did play a show at the Santa Monica Pacific, I think it was. I I honestly don't remember if they came over right after the show to record or not, or if it was like the next day. I honestly don't remember. But I do remember that we recorded some tracks at uh, Vocal Access in Redondo. Uh, we put them in the big room, which was very, uh, very, you know, hard, sort of spacious, kind of like a big warehouse type of thing, and, 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 and they played live. I don't remember if there were vocals recorded at the same time or if that was overdubbed or not, but I know that we got, we got, we got some basic tracks down. Okay. And, um, and I know that Mugger was kind of assisting me. He was in the room with the band, and I. And I mean, there, there was there was no visual contact between that room and the control room where I was. Okay. So, but but you know, we could talk back and forth to each other, and Mugger was you know, if I needed a mic moved or something, say, yeah, move that mic like blah blah. blah whatever. That's what. I remember of that. Okay. Then there was we made an attempt to record some some more basics I think it was at a different time with at 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 God, what was it it was at music lab which was in Silver Lake and that was that was the session where all hell broke loose um i mean this the, 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 uh, yeah the <laughs> a mock- up speaker fell out of the ceiling and landed right on top of the 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 twenty four track machine split the tape in two and fell on top of the console and and that was it. You couldn't work from there on.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Okay. And (laughs) so that so so that that session that was a completely an aborted mission.
1: Okay. All right. The
0: band, you know, there was there was nothing else. The band had to go back to New Jersey. Then I went out to New Jersey to work to help them finish the record. They found a studio. in Jersey, uh, I think, okay, I know that we did some, uh, well, I guess we must have done some basic tracks there, and then some overdubbing and that, and there were two studios that that I remember, but it's, you know, and, and I just, I mean, I remember doing some vocals with Glenn at one studio, and I I just remember that that was the one that had the Harrison console. The other studio had, an, I think, an Allen and Heath console, and I don't remember if we recorded there. Or just there was some mixing going on, and people we were eating pizza. Um, I don't but, but I don't know if any anything, anything from that session was used. Okay. Or you know, but it, it it was it was a session where we were really having a hard time just getting it done.
1: Okay. All right. The 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 lore is that there's two there were two reels with kind of rough versions of the songs, some with vocals, some without, and then there's the completed, um, that ended up being the actual album all my research has said unicorn in santa Santa monica at the beginning of october of 82 and then you guys moved out to new jersey
0: mm-hmm. well i don't i don't remember i don't remember working with them at unicorn ever
1: okay all right gotcha
0: i believe i believe but no i think maybe they just thought that they were in unicorn but i remember total access Definitely total access in Redondo.
1: The big room, right? That's what you you called it, the big room.
0: Yeah. Okay. The one thing we called the cement. It was a cement room in total access, and uh, it, it, was it? Uh, music lab had a, a large room also. It was a, you know it was, it was not quite as live, not quite as big, but we were we were trying the, the basic. We were trying to do basic tracks there, and that's where. <laughs> that's where the, the control room blew up
1: <laughs> how does that happen like what 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 the hell happened that something falls onto the board
0: well it well, i guess it, it, I, I guess the speaker and it was a big speaker it was um it just wasn't mounted solidly enough And I guess the band—I mean, you know—the band is—they're a loud band, you know—they're—they're in—they're in in the the room, going at it at at full volume. So I I guess it just the vibrations in the wall were just enough to 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 make that speaker shift forward just enough to 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 let gravity take take control.
1: was was mugger in the room with you?
0: Yes. Yeah, we were we were yeah, and we it, it was just, everything happened so fast, we both were it was both like run away, you know, we just both had to run, get out of the way of things falling, you know. Nice.
1: Just um just and, uh, just to give context for everybody listening, mugger was uh he worked for SST. He wrote it for Black Flag, he ended up doing a lot of studio work and he was kind of one of the, the, the key players in the SST record label days and things like that. So just so everybody knows. So what's what's the band, you know, out in the studio, you know, when things are actually going right, you know, as far as they're they're taking a pass at a track. Did you feel like they were really prepared to to, to to be able to put this stuff to tape? Were they well rehearsed? What was the vibe like in the studio with the guys in the band?
0: Oh, it was, it was, it was everybody was up. Everybody was gung-ho to, to do it, you know? At least, at least on the basic tracks, you know? Um, yeah, that, that, that's all I got. Now, now the, the stuff that they did in L.A., they did those around around touring. And one of the best situations in the studio is if you if you've got a band in the in the midst of touring and they're you know and they're, they're I mean you know it's like they're 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 on it you know they well, I'm, I'm not sure what the word is but they're they're in they're in their zone yeah you bring a band like that in the studio and 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 you don't have to worry about whether they're rehearsed or or you know, ready to play. Sure. They're ready to play. Sure. Um, now, in New Jersey, that was a different situation because they bring their home and they weren't touring. They had one gig, I remember, in New York one night, but, you know, that's just driving over the river. No big deal. But uh, I had to kind of... I had to kind of, like, stay after them and say, you know, you guys kind of. You guys got to rehearse your songs. You, you you need to you need to be on it when we go in, and actually they, because I think they, cause, what I've seen. Remember that they were not really inclined to do that, but I I managed to get them to to rehearse a little bit. And I think that I I, I remember one morning I woke up. I was I was um I was staying. I was in, in one of their houses. One morning I woke up and 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 I hear them out in the um. The uh, the garage playing, which was rare. Apparently, that's a rare thing for them to do. So yeah, that part, that part was good.
1: I'm guessing that's probably Jerry and Doyle's house. They rehearsed in the garage there for the yeah, longest time. You're
0: right. You're right.
1: Okay. Any uh, any experience with uh, their family? Did you get to meet Jerry and Doyle's mom or anything? Was it any? Yeah. Yeah you know, there
0: was you know, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing really significant. You know, I, 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 I met their mom. You know, seemed like a decent person. Okay. Didn't really interface with her much. Um. Uh, some of some of Jerry and Doyle's friends. You know, they were just actually they were you know they were guys who would sit around and like while they're talking they're. They're lifting, you know, they're lifting dumbbells and doing these muscle exercises and stuff like that. <laughs> I thought that was funny, you know. And then they have, they drink beer, do some more muscle exercises, blah blah blah. But <laughs> no, that was kind of funny. I don't, I never, I don't think I met the dad or anyone, anyone else. I don't really, yeah.
1: Okay, it's it's a funny picture. I and it's just strange to me. You know, the, the, I guess the, the clash of, you know, uh, horror punk band and physical fitness always just it doesn't seem like it goes together. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem oh, like.
0: Well, 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 the Misfits, they were, they were very middle class.
1: Sure. Sure. Know? Okay.
0: And they, um, a lot of, I mean, I mean, there's a reason why they looked as buff as they looked because they were kind of jocks, and most of their friends were like that. <laughs> that's what I, I mean. You know, at least, at least Jerry and Doyle. Okay. That's what they were about. Glenn, Glenn, I, I, I don't know. Uh, Robo, no. <laughs> um,
1: I got I got I got a couple questions. Okay, um, I want to go back and hit on uh, Robo. Yeah, one of the, you obviously played in black flag moved on to the misfits after that kind of disappeared for a while ended up showed up again playing for the quote-unquote misfits you know through the early 2000s till a while ago you had experience working with him for the damaged album and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh there's there's this story surrounding the tracking of that album that robo wore these bracelets and during a take you could hear his bracelets jangling, you know, when mm-hmm. when the music was relatively quiet. I think when you listen to "Gimme, Gimme, Gimme" on Damage, you can hear him kind of jangling on his arms. Um, is that? I mean, is, is is it accurate? You know did did you notice it in the studio, or was it just you know what? Whatever, we'll just leave it. Who cares? Uh,
0: you know, I, I I I remember noticing it in the studio at some point, but. You know, I, I don't. I don't specifically remember if there was a, a resolution about that, or if it became an issue, or if it was something we would just joke about and just let him do it. I. I, I don't remember how that played out, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but I do remember at one point, you know, hearing his hearing his bracelets jingle.
1: I, th- I think it's fascinating because it's, you can't tell if it's maybe the squeak of a of a bass drum pedal or maybe a hi hat pedal moving up and down or if it's his bracelets, whatever it is. Those little those little nuances are what give albums character. Oh, um, totally. Work, working with him from going from Damaged to the Earth AD sessions, you know, was he was he still the same drummer? Did you notice any differences? You know, was mm. Did, was he was he interacting with this new group of guys any differently than the guys in black flag? you know would you notice about him?
0: Ooh. I think he was still the same drummer um, but just yeah, just in a different situation. he was he, ah. now, socially, the misfits were completely completely different uh, they were completely different kind of people than than SST. They were a little. They were all a little. <coughs> excuse me. A little more middle class social. You know, they were uh, they were people who had houses, places to live, jobs, and stuff like that. Whereas with SST, it was all this kind of. I mean, you know, we were pretty much a bunch of street people who somehow had. A garage that we could do what we did at, and and you know, you, you wherever you find a place to sleep. Okay, sure, just don't get arrested, <laughs> you know. But uh, <laughs> right. So, I don't remember. I don't remember where he was living. Actually, at that, like in New Jersey. Uh, you know, I don't remember where he was living. If I don't, he might have been living at Doyle's house.
1: Uh, there's, uh, it's, he stayed with Glenn for a while. Um, I'm not sure after that, but, uh, he ended up, he was working at, uh, Jerry and Doyle's, uh, machine shop, uh, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how the living situation was arranged, but I do know there was a time that he was living with Glenn. Uh Uh-huh. Wow.
0: Hold on a second. Speaking of which... I just, I just, I just want to, I just want to check something out here. Got to, uh, I don't know if I can. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure... Sh- oh, 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 looking in the wrong place. Or, am- oh, there, yeah, I am looking in the wrong place. Yep. Yeah, I got, uh... I got some of those, uh, some of their lawsuit exacto knives.
1: <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, the Pro Edge ones.
0: Yeah, the Poe. Yeah, the one, the the ones that are. Uh, who did they rip off? Was it Expo?
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, oh, uh, oh, no, exacto. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. air airbrush artists use them all the time uh, to cut their uh, to cut their stenciling. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a. That's a. What do you do? You, do you just have? Do you have a, a box of them sitting around? Is that what it is?
0: Well, at one time, <laughs> I remember when I. They gave me like a a big. Uh, they gave me this kind of like briefcase full of them, you know, and <laughs> after I had finished working with them, I'm getting on the plane, and I have this. Had a briefcase full of all these knives and you know i I carried it on the plane okay and you know like today uh
1: uh-huh right (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you could you could have used them to cut tape if you needed to
0: i well maybe i think i think you're right
1: there you go okay perfect that see stuff like that stuff like that is amazing to know
0: well, I've used those for um, uh, quite a few different things you now. So they're, they're, they're still in the old um, what I needed the uh, tool. You know, you know, I guess it's, you know the mug of the A and W mug that I put all the the, the knives in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the the mixing process for Earth AD, oh, were you were you a part of that?
0: Gosh, I guess. Well, I know that we did... I mean, like, one of the studios in New Jersey, we went there one night specifically to mix. And when I think about it, I think it was actually we did some overdubs and mixing. And that was, that's the one that I remember as being a rather unsuccessful session. I remember the was the Allen and Heath console. And at that point, I wasn't that... You know, I didn't like working on that board. So I don't know if any of that stuff got used, uh, but, we, but the, the other studio, the one with the Harrison console, I remember mixing there. And that was a situation where you know, there was no, there was no budget, no time to mix. I had, I had to like, I had to really wrestle with Glenn to get to say, look, we need at least four more hours, and he's like, oh, we can't afford that. And I'm like, but just you know, and, but I don't know, and, I, and so I don't remember if we got those four more hours or or not sure that's where it was mixed So i'll say hey i honestly don't know what was used and what wasn't on that record
1: okay all right
0: i you know, I, I i i have never even owned a copy of that thing so i don't even know what's on it
1: okay it's i mean it is a hot slab of old school hardcore it is it's an amazing record it sounds like i i know i i've said it multiple times but it sounds like a freight train roaring oh
0: i guess one of these days i'll have
1: to listen to it (laughs) I'll, i'll send you one of my copies how about that um there's a uh uh there's also there's one other kind of thing surrounding the tracking of that album that you guys actually tracked feedback can you confirm or deny that
0: I was right I, uh, I, I i I seem to remember that <laughs> at least in the the total access sessions that uh, uh there were some there were some tracks of feedback. that's the best I can tell you
1: okay, all right any little tidbit matters, you know it's important to me. I got two other things, Spot. First thing, okay. where, where does everybody find your book? Well,
0: my suggestion is to go straight to Cinecure, the publishers, okay. and order it from them. Because what they've got on their, their website is the deluxe version of it, which, uh, in addition to the, the, the slip case, and the poster. There's also a uh, a print, a high quality eight by ten print of one of the images, and a one inch, I mean a seven inch vinyl, a seven inch vinyl that has that has audio on one side, and the other side is a, uh, 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 I think a wood cut by Ed Templeton.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
0: That, that's 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 what I suggest. Now I know that it had been available through, you know, your your typical things like Amazon, but the last time I looked up looked it up on Amazon, they're going for these insane prices that I don't understand. I mean there was stuff that was like you know, hundred and seventy bucks for a copy? What? Who the hell is doing that? That's just insane. That's just ridiculous. I haven't gone there lately, you know. People can try, but i say, you know, for a brand new copy, don't spend more than 50 bucks for the damn thing. Sure. Go, directly to the, go directly to the publisher. For 50 bucks, you get the deluxe version. <laughs> and that's that. And there's only, they only made 1,000 of those. Other than that, you know, um, now I, I left some at, uh, what is it, at the record store in Chicago. Oh God! Why can't I remember the name of the store? Um, <laughs> that's that's a bad part about getting old. <laughs> is is thing, things like that? <laughs> um, I yeah. I I I I forget. Hmm. Wait a minute. Wait. I I can. Okay. Look. I'm a. I can't leave you hanging on this. So let me let me look it up here. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, permanent records permanent records yes
1: yes 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 permanent records in chicago yes okay
0: yes good record store we you know we need this we need to keep record stores and bookstores alive there's a um okay, I'm in Sheboygan, like literally around the corner from my house there's a bookstore used bookstore that just calls itself the bookstore, and unfortunately at the end of this month, they're going out of business and uh, its I think it's going to leave only one other used bookstore in the city. Um, and where else do you get books? I think there might be someplace in a mall somewhere, but nobody goes there. <laughs> so yeah, record stores and bookstores, are essential to keeping American culture alive.
1: Why? You know why? Why do you feel so strongly about it?
0: Because uh, books and records have magic. They can, you know, you 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 know. when I say records, I'm you know, vinyl, of course, is is god, um, but. You know, it can it can be in any form, um, uh, physical form, CD, cassette, whatever. It's a record, okay? It's function, but when you get it, you you're on your own as to how you listen to it, how you interpret it, how you feel about it. You know, it's not it's it's not something being thrown at you uh, on television or off of a computer with a video telling that's basically telling you exactly what you have to think. You know, same with a book. You know, uh, it, it's intimate, and you can get in there and just you take your time with it, you know. And, 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 and places, you know, record stores and bookstores are great places to spend time and hang out and you know, okay, and, and, and you're always going to run into somebody who's interested in what you're interested in, and you'll at least get into a conversation with somebody and maybe find out about something else, you know? It's like libraries. Libraries are essential, and... and um, hey, John what, John Waters himself, he says, you know, books are cool. If you ever go home with someone and they don't have books, don't fuck them. <laughs> It's so true. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I I I, I just I, I love I love the experience of going to a bookstore or record store, not knowing what you're looking for. <laughs> and then finding
1: something. Do you you know do you, do you still get an opportunity to do that?
0: Every once in a while, yes. Uh uh, okay, like, you know, when I put the book out, that was like, uh, 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 uh November of 2014. You know, it's almost two years ago. Uh, I did a book signing at Amoeba Records in Hollywood. And I don't normally go to record stores, you know, but I was amazed at how much was in Amoeba. Uh, you know, I, I, I came out of there with a whole bunch of, like, classical music CDs, you know, and uh, that, 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 that's one of the things I love, classical music these days. I listen to tons of it now. Um, but, uh, and in the process of doing that, I got a chance to talk to people, you know, uh, cu- other customers where I could say, uh, what would you recommend for this composer and stuff? And you know, they turn me on to stuff that I've been really happy with. And, and the, 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 the people who work there, they're really knowledgeable. They know their sh- they know their shit, you know. Uh, I, and and I, I I like that because you, you find you, you find out stuff, and it, it's like you know, it, in intelligence and culture, it's not something that sits on a shelf. It's something that you walk through, you walk to it and to it and from it and around it and with it you know you it's and and if you don't have that, what have you got <laughs> sure not much
1: sure I was every time I've been in amoeba, I mean there's a lot of really great you know aggressive music there, and that's you know that's what I'm into, obviously, but I always find myself walking to the back room um back there where they keep all of the the composers, you know, traditional kind of orchestral music and things like that. Mm -hmm. I always end up going back there because you'd be amazed at some of the stuff, you know, they have on, you know, whether it's 45, 33 or 78, there's so much stuff back there. And it's literally things that are, you know, damn near to the point where it's about to go extinct because it has not all of it's been, you know, digitized. You know, uh-huh. s- some of that stuff only exists on vinyl. That's it. And I always think it's it's amazing to walk back there and look around because it's like you, it's like walking back in time. I think it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like if, if if we give ourselves a chance, uh, you know, we we've got a history. <laughs> you
1: know. Sure, sure.
0: No, I mean, I I I, I find it really important because, like, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I'm a self proclaimed grumpy old man but I've earned it you know and I know a lot of stuff I know what I know and I'm finding that uh, okay you know it, it's you know it, it's always been popular for the older generation to disparage the young it's always been popular um, and there's certain things about about uh, the young and that I can't stand, but there's certain things about them that I'm like, hey, give me more of that, you know? They're not... It, it, it's like a, it always was. There's some that are clueless, and then there's some that, hey, they're, 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 they're defining what's going to happen from here on out, you know? So, you know, like 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 the, the experience and Amoeba of, um, you know, kids, like, way younger than me, who could tell me what i was well tell me what to look for, whether they had it or you know they at least knew about it they, and and they knew what they didn't know that didn't leave me in the dark <laughs> you know? and you know I, I find I find kids nowadays that are working at coffee houses and that that um uh, they but, you know it, you know it, it's important for somebody like me. To turn them on to really cool stuff or ideas and it's and 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 they turned me on to stuff like uh, a month or so back, one of the radio stations I streamed they were having like a whole hour of Kate Bush who uh you know I love Kate Bush, and I was talking to some kids about it, and they didn't know, and there was this one one of her songs turns out some new contemporary band did a version of it. So we were like comparing the versions. That was mind-opening to me.
1: Are you kind of of the opinion that there there's there's a valid exchange of, you know, artistic information that can happen, you know, whether it's something you think is credible or not. Do you find that there's something valid in in all forms of art, whether it's, you know, commercial pop music independent punk rock or whatever the case is.
0: Oh, yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I think it's... <clears throat> I think it's always been that way. I think the the, the parameters um, and means of discovery have changed. I mean, they've probably changed drastically, even, like, over the past 50 years. And, you know, probably the next 20 years is going to be even more earth-shaking. But, uh yeah. It always existed, and you know, it's, it's, it's really important for it's really important for old farts like me <laughs> to <laughs> to pay attention to what the young twits are doing. Sure. I don't have to like it, but I want to at least know what the hell's going on because there's, there's, there's always something to learn in it you know i don't care who you are or, or where or, or where you come from there's always something to learn in it and and and, and, and it and it works the other the other way around too it's it's really it's really how culture survives is you know the inexperienced learn from the experienced and the experienced have to learn something new from the inexperienced just to remain experienced <laughs>
1: It's a vicious cycle, right? It's, it's not. It's not vicious. It's just. It's. It's.
0: it's a carnival cycle, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I love it. I love it. You know. Hey, maybe. Hey, maybe I'm gonna get on one of the rides and throw up my my hot dog. <laughs> At least I got on the ride.
1: Right. I mean, it's I, I I don't know. To me, it doesn't matter what age you're at. Um, your, you know, your ability to invest and enjoy and appreciate and digest art, regardless of what medium it is, is important. I think, you know, whether whether it feels like in an immediate sense it's a kind of do or die situation. I still think that overall, it's very very important for. You know, kind of chicken soup for the soul, as lame as that sounds. You know what I mean? It just—I um, mm. think it makes for a—I think it makes for a more creative person, makes for a more thoughtful kind of person, that sort of stuff.
0: It makes life what it is.
1: Sure. Yeah, I get that. I want—I want, I want your—I want your story behind something. Um, go back to Henry Rollins's book. Get in the van. There's a photo in this book uh, taken in April of 1983 in uh, Mike Muir's garage. He's the singer of a band called Suicidal Tendencies. Black Flag is playing oh. in the garage. It was ended up being Dez Cadena's last show with the band. You're, there's a photo of you sitting on a bench playing clarinet alongside of Black Flag. And I always thought the juxtaposition of you... Playing clarinet besides this super aggressive, you know, punk rock band, I always thought it was such a neat picture, and I always kind of wondered what the hell was going on. What what's the story behind the photo?
0: Uh, I think it's I think it just is what it is. You know, I was I was there, and I mean, that, that that was yeah. You know, I, I had that clarinet around a lot because I just I just had fun with it. It was it was a. You know, and every once in a while, <laughs> you know, I had a chance to just, like, uh, you know, play it with somebody. And it was, it was part of how I learned, I learned how to play it, you know, was just going there and figure figuring it out. Um, and I think that's all that was happening. I was just, you know, you know, I was just sitting there trying to, trying to figure out if I could play something along with those songs, you know.
1: Right. Did you find uh, Greg Ginn as a musician, um, you know, he's been pretty well documented that he's into, you know, know, jazz, you know what I mean, as far as like jazz scales, uh, playing style and things like that. And obviously there's a lot of talk around you can't ever find the right key with jazz music. And sometimes you can say that about Black Flags soloing as far as guitar goes him, as a musician, you know what what was your take on him
0: uh, in a traditional technical sense, you could make a case that he wasn't he wasn't that good uh but it's kind of like that doesn't really matter, you know. There were, I mean, there were times that he would play stuff that I'm just like, what the fuck, and then there were times when it was like, oh wow. So I think I think that a lot of a lot of what he was doing, he kind of really didn't know what he was doing either. He just he just picked a direction to go in and just you know would just kind of see what would happen, you know. In the same way that a lot of, like, bebop and post-bebop jazz guys did. Now, admittedly, the... I shouldn't... Admittedly, just, just scratch that word out. Uh, I think it was kind of a given that most of those those old jazz guys, they were trained. They had they had a traditional kind of training behind them. Sure. Um uh, in rock and roll, it, especially by the time you got into the uh, the 70s, rock and roll musicians had less traditional training, and that continued into the 80s and, 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 and into the 90s. Uh, so he was someone who had, you know, less traditional training than some guy like... Uh, uh, I don't know, like an Eric Clapton or Dwayne Allman or or something or something like that. So I mean, I'm not I'm not really sure where he started with it. All I knew is that I had started with kind of a traditional training, but I didn't let that get in my. For the most part, I didn't let it get in my way. <clears throat> so a band like that to me. It just kind of—it just kind of helped me not get so set in my ways about what music is and what music isn't and everything. Because you're always running into people who are saying, "Well, that's not music," you know. And it's like, "Well, what the fuck do you know?" You know. And, and, and it's like, you know, do you? And, you, and, and invariably, it's—it's it's like, "Well, what are you like?" "Well, I don't play music, but I know that's not music." It's like, "Well, fuck you." <laughs> so. Um, I'm not exactly sure if what Greg plays should be characterized as jazz. Uh, there's definitely a link to, you know, I guess what you'd call the free jazz thing, you know, the uh, where where Coltrane and Albert Eiler come in. And I'm, I'm sure that he was probably inspired a lot by... You know, guys playing very noisy horns.
1: Sure, sure. Uh yeah.
0: Um, it, what, like like what Ornette Coleman? You know, there's there's a good
1: example. He's, Not a
0: whole lot of that was discussed, really. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, there's. But, I, I think as the Black Flag catalog went on towards the last part of it, um, and even some of the instrumental stuff, that it's he is noticeably out of key. You know with a lot of the stuff that he's playing mm-hmm. and i mean was your experience was it was it intended, or was it he just you just wind him up and he goes, and that's just what happens
0: i think i i I, I don't think that's a question i can answer hm i could i'll just I'll just say that i'm sure, I'm sure you can find plenty of examples where it doesn't work, and plenty of examples where it does. Sure. <laughs> We're probably wise to believe it in that. you know it's only you and me, that's all I
1: This wraps up part one of Music the Lifeblood's conversation with Spot. Come back next week, same Music the Lifeblood time, same Music the Lifeblood channel for part two.
0: With, with every kiss I taste blood on your lips